Hey guys, it's Meg from Two Grieving Girls, and I have a very special guest host today, all the way who has an amazing Instagram page called Sibling Grief Club. And I'm going to let her introduce herself because for anyone that knows me, you know that I butcher everyone's names all the time. So, hi. Hi, Meg. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, my name is Maeveen Brown, and I'm from Ireland. I'm from a place called, originally from a place called County Tyrone, and I'm now married and live in County Armagh. Um, so it's in the north uh, of Ireland, and it's very beautiful. And yes, I'm joining Meg here today to talk about my experience of grief having lost my baby sister uh, four years ago. So how old was your sister? I, I was trying to do some digging to hear your full story, but I figured I would just wait until we chatted to get it right from you. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Trina was 34 when she passed away. Um, she passed away February 2017, so she would have been 35 um, that following September. So we are just coming up to her birthday now, which, as everyone probably listening, will know that that can be a difficult time. Um, as I said, she was the youngest of four. Um, there's four four girls, and I'm the I'm the second oldest. Sorry, there's my baby in the in the background here. No, no, don't be sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a very difficult um, four years. And, um, the sibling grief club is is relatively new. We just set up there in February of this year, and um, that that has been really actually transformative for me because. Um, it's really helped me connect with other people who are in the same situation um, in terms of losing siblings because, you know, we hadn't been able to find any of that support um, beforehand. So it's, it's, just been, it's just been really, really good. Um, and, yeah, and I've been able to um, follow your account and lots of other um, grief accounts so it's it's just been a very positive experience on Instagram so um, yeah delighted to be here to, to talk to you Meg. Your account is amazing I always feel like I open it up and see it and like you hit the nail right on the head for exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking in that moment it's like you're in my head and um, <laughs> it, it's yeah. I, I think I think we all have that sort of um, connection, whereby everyone's journey is different, and we all experience grief differently. But there are common themes that we all um, experience as well. And yeah, it's just sometimes it's really difficult to put into words, and somebody else can can do that for you. You know, I, I come across loads of accounts, and I'm like. Oh my goodness! I feel the exact same way, but I just couldn't. I just couldn't piece it together as as well as as someone else. So, um, I think we all have so much to learn from each other 
in that way. And um, yeah, I'm so, so glad to have that because I very much didn't have it in those early days, uh, which were horrendous. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad to have found it now, really. Um, and you said she was the youngest, so you have two other sisters. Yeah, I have an older, older sister, Edel, and a younger sister, Kathy. So uh, Edel and I, as the two oldest, we were always known as the two big ones. And I don't know if this is just an Irish thing or not, but in a lot of families, you're sort of um, split into groups. So you've like the two big ones, the two middle ones, and the and the two the two wee ones. So, is, Kathy, I'm sorry. No, it's so funny you say that because my mom's family is Irish, and I have four kids, and I always say the big kids and the littles. I split them: the two older <laughs> and the two younger. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that that's what we had been for years. It's really only well, mommy probably would still say it um, occasionally, the two big ones and the two wee ones. But um, yeah, we were very, very close growing up. Uh, we grew up in rural Ireland um, from a, in a farming background. Um, my mum uh, was a stay at home mum and my dad um, is a builder. And yeah, we, we wanted for nothing. We were very happy. We were very fortunate to um, live in a fantastic community where everybody looks out for each other. And um, our family dynamic growing up, um, really, we were very, very blessed and didn't have any experiences really of, of grief um, or loss um, out of the natural order of things, so sadly mm-hmm. we'd we'd lost our, our grandparents. Um, but no, we always and you know we were always very conscious of that, you know because you you hear of other families who have suffered um, trauma, loss, tragedy, um, and and pain, and you think to yourself selfishly oh my god thank god that's mm-hmm. what we do if that was us or um we are so fortunate that we you know haven't experienced that uh and when it does hit then um even though we were older um adults like we were all kathy was two years older than trina i was four years older so kathy was 36 um i was just coming 38 and um when that hit, we had no real experience or skills to mm-hmm. to deal with it. Um, and it, and because um, Trina died due to uh, a blockage in her in her bowel, um, she had been tr- being treated um, prior to that for a few months for what they call a gastro bug. Here, it's like a really nasty winter flu that that goes around and and they just i'm talking about the medical professionals that are our general practitioners or trina had a consultant and they were all just sort of like you're going to have to ride this out and yeah it's tough but you know um it's just a bug um and she became very ill as a result because um she felt that she was 
a nuisance, that nobody was listening to her, that she knew her own body, she knew in her heart that it was more than more than that. Mm-hmm. So eventually it came to a head and she had to go to hospital. And by the time they realized um, that it was actually a, a blockage in her bowel, um, the, it was too late and she was already dying. And she passed away like um, really suddenly, really unexpectedly. We had we were putting her complete and utter faith in the in the medical professional. She was in hospital. She was in a place where people could could save her. And you know they they talked about um, you know operating and and doing all this stuff um, to you know alleviate the problem and. Uh, we were so confident this was a Sunday night. We were so confident that on Monday they were going to transfer to a specialist hospital and everything would be okay. Um, but it quickly became apparent that she was struggling and we had to fight to get her into intensive care. Um, and then she passed away just a few hours after we got her into intensive care. So you know, right up until the very end, Meg, we were, you know, still really hopeful. Like her dying just, she she had said to me, she knew herself that she was dying. She said to me that she felt that everything was shutting down. And um, I was trying to reassure her and say, well, look, you know, the doctors are saying this and, you know, you're, you're okay. You're going to be fine. Like you're not, I was trying to get her, not to panic. Um, so when she did die, it was just, it was just like something out of a horror movie. Um, and that's the only way I can describe it was um, just feelings of pure horror. Um, nausea, just shock and, and, and horror. I, I don't really have... The vocabulary and there and there probably isn't the words um, for any of us to describe what what um, losing a loved one um, feels like. Um, but yeah, so from the very outset, we were it was chaos. Um, we weren't aware of how to handle it. Um, we had no idea what was going on. We were just completely traumatized and shell-shocked, I would say. Um, and it was really, really confusing time, really frightening time. Um, that's C.S. Lewis quote um, that where he says, nobody told me that grief feels so much like fear. Um, and, and I couldn't understand this. I couldn't understand the feelings that I was feeling, you know, the feelings of fear, anxiety, panic, um, and that endured for, for weeks and weeks. But um, we, we, as I said earlier, we're so lucky to have a fantastic community. And in Ireland, wakes are, um, they happen very quickly. So within days, um, Trina was home with us after a, a post-mortem. Um, and then what happens is, is that the whole community rallies and literally thousands of thousands of people um came to our house um so yeah well we i suppose we have a huge family um and a lot of friends 
and yeah just we were involved in the community a lot so the whole community turned out and then you have you know Trina school friends college friends you know the numbers the people just kept coming and coming so for three days um the house never emptied so you're sort of carried along wow um, three on days. a on a wave yeah where people people feed you they um help you make the decisions of um funerals picking songs choosing readings things like that um, that people coax you through, sort of take you through it step by step. Um, so, and, and then obviously the emotional support as well. So, you know, we know that that doesn't happen um, in, in ever, you know, everywhere that, that we're quite unique, our style of, of wake. Um, and then for months afterwards, you still have people calling to the house and um, particularly, you know, our, our home house where we were raised. A lot of my mum's friends and my dad's friends continued and mine as well, continued to, to visit. Um, so your grief doesn't really get the opportunity to, to kick in uh, in earnest, I suppose, until that sort of dies down and in a way, it's it's a it's a good thing because I think it helps you survive those initial days. Um, yeah. But in another way, we felt that our grief was nearly, you know, secondary. That we just didn't have have time because there was so much to do in terms of mm-hmm. sorting out Trina's estate. Um, we had so much to do in terms of taking care of visitors and you know it was endless cups of coffee endless cups of tea and you know for, we barely we barely got eaten like a, a proper meal just people arrived at the house at eight o'clock in the morning and right through till 10 11 o'clock at night you were surrounded by people so there was no which and I, and I craved this. I craved some peace and some solitude at times, and then at other times, that fear and that panic was so overwhelming. I just I, I felt, felt found myself begging people not to go home, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. So sorry, just one second, Meg. Oh, um, I have to lift the baby. So. Um, yeah, and I just sort of felt that the, I didn't really have a place for my grief. So when, when people came to visit, even my own friends, nobody really asked me um, directly how, how I was. You know, I felt, I, I felt that by, uh, by them just being there was supportive, but... Nobody actually asked me what uh, I was going through. How was I holding up? You know, when, when they met you, they'd say, um, you know, how, how are your mum and dad? Yes. As in that, you know, their grief was the primary grief. Um, and and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think, number one, that I felt that my pain 
and my grief was like a, a physical thing that extended out in front of me so that people could nearly feel it. Does that make sense? Because yes, definitely. it felt like, a, it just felt like this orb that was consuming me. And I, I genuinely felt at the time, my friends, like I did feel so sorry for them that they, they just hadn't, they couldn't handle it. It was too intense. It was too raw, too painful. And um, they just didn't have the skills to cope with that or deal with that either. Um, and then I also feel that within society that people don't regard sibling loss as being um, like, a, like a valid type of grief. Um, and they don't recognize the sibling relationship as being a very close one, um, which to me is very strange because your sibling relationship is is one of the longest, if not, it, mm-hmm. it is the longest um, one. You've spent your whole childhood together. Um, you've made so many memories together, uh, shared you know, all your sort of childhood experiences um, together, which which make you the person you are. So literally your siblings are part of the fabric of you because, you know, you have the same makeup um, and the same life experiences. And uh, I suppose I felt that, I felt that I nearly had to convince people how close I was to Trina, you know, to to justify time off work or to justify um, not being able to go out for a coffee or return calls, like mm-hmm. all of those things that I was once able to do at ease. And, and they, they sound like really simple tasks. But for anyone who is experiencing grief and loss and pain will know that those mundane everyday tasks become like you know, mountains that you have to climb every day. Um, and I found myself nearly apologizing for my grief, that that I wasn't who I used to be, that I wasn't able to do what I used to do. And it just felt, it just felt really uncomfortable. And it got to the point there where... I sort of stopped saying anything at all because I just felt that people didn't understand. Um, and I don't think you can understand sibling loss unless you have um, yeah. experienced it. Um, so I, I just shut down then um, and just stopped saying anything at all. But of course, we all know that's not a very uh, healthy thing to do. And... Um, I went to see a doctor, I went to see a therapist um, and they prescribed things that helped um, but obviously didn't um, didn't give me a place for, for my grief to go. Um, and I, I just felt that that I needed to work up my grief more, that I needed to understand it I needed to learn about it and you know try and figure out why 
why I was feeling the way I was feeling, why I was behaving the way I was behaving, because I genuinely did think on, on a lot of occasions that that I was maybe having some sort of a breakdown. Um, I actually did say to my friends um, once in a real desperate attempt to get them to, I suppose, realise the extent and the depth of the pain that I was experiencing. You know, I begged them to get me to a psychiatrist or to, you know, um, get me into some sort of a, a treatment facility. Um but I realize now that, you know, I wasn't mentally ill. I was grieving. I just I just didn't know how to and I didn't understand it. Um, but it's a really, really frightening place to be. Um, and I feel so strongly as well that as as a society, um, particularly here in Ireland anyway, I, you know, I, I would love to do actually a, a piece on grief in different cultures, but for for Irish people it's it's something that's that's not really talked about very much. Um that we're not we're very, very good at wakes and we're very good at funerals, but we're not very good at grieving at all. Um I'm sorry, Neil, this boy is he's, he's he's okay. I thought I thought he had fallen. Um so yeah, we've. I feel so passionately um, about, um, obviously, sibling, adult sibling grief and adult sibling loss is very important to me. And um, but also, um, the educational side of it um, and raising awareness about grief is really important to me as well. Because I, after Trina died, um. Everything felt really unfamiliar. It, you know, it was like, and the way I described it was, it was like somebody had picked up my world and lift, lifted it up and set it down again, but just a few millimeters out. Mm-hmm. I could never get anything to feel right. And for, for ages, I thought it was furniture. Um, you know, that the furniture hadn't been put back properly. Um, but I realized then that familiar journeys, um, uh, like familiar sort of routines that I would have done every day just suddenly became like alien to me. I just just didn't recognize anything. And I, I certainly didn't recognize myself. Um, so I found... I found that trying to learn about grief and trying to figure out what was happening, what was going on, was compounded by the symptoms of grief. So I sort of felt that it was like a wee bit like the cart before the horse, which is another Irish saying here. You know, that why why are we trying to learn about grief whilst we're grieving? You know, people who people who have lost someone who they love with every bone in their body, you know, they find it difficult to string a sentence together. They they can't remember. They can't think clearly. Um, they can't, well, I couldn't read. I, I, still, I still can't read large amounts of information at the same time. I just don't have the capacity because grief takes up so much space, so much space in your heart, your soul, your mind. And 
trying to get our head around grief and when you're in that place is is nigh impossible so i think it's so important that we that we learn a bit more about it um you know through school through um pastoral care through through your your church if 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 you're a member um and like there's there's we, we just need to get the conversations um going um and that that is so so important to me um and so important to everybody at the sibling grief club because we know that what all a griever really really wants is to be heard we just need our stories to be heard we don't need to be fixed or cured or cheered up or anything um, like that because you can't do any of those things you know um it's just impossible but if someone feels that their grief is valid that someone cares and is listening listening sorry um then then that's so powerful and and so special but unfortunately it's also very rare um uh, that that happens but I, I genuinely believe that if people knew that they don't have to come up with comforting words they don't have to come up with um sentences and and conversations that's going to make the person feel better the person just wants to be heard the person just wants to talk about their loved one um how they're feeling their emotions what you know what life is like now what you know what what we need from others we really need to be heard we don't need people to think that they know what we want and to decide for us we just actually need them to ask us what is it that you need um and uh listen whenever whenever you tell them i'm sorry meg i was kind of going on and on there didn't let you really in at all no no (laughs) and honestly i you hit the nail on the head for me with i'm kind of at that point where I'm almost at a standstill and sometimes almost that I was trying to explain it to my husband the other night it's almost like a feeling of paralyzing I don't want to say fear because I it's not necessarily fear and I do suffer from anxiety and um you know it's obviously been amplified by hundreds in the past seven months but I, I'll find myself sometimes just sitting and I, I can't function, which I work four jobs and I sit on several boards and I'm the director of cheerleading and I, I normally would be coaching cheer, but due to COVID right now, like I don't have many cheerleaders at my middle school level, but um. I'm super involved with my kids and at school and I, I almost like paralyzed and like, I, I can't do what I need to do. And I know these people from, from town, I live in a small town, but I, I don't know them to the extent to feel comfortable enough to them to say like here and I'm, I'm really unable to do this at this time. Mm. And I, I just recently had some issues at cheerleading where I, I finally did tell someone like, you know, look, my, 
my brother passed away and my brother ended up passing away from a seizure due to withdrawal from his anxiety medication. And I was very vocal to him about switching his anxiety medication because I felt like the doctor had him on too much. So I carry a ton of guilt constantly. And, and I, sometimes it is hard to even like last week, I spent the majority of the week on my couch and I, I struggle with that. And I have teenagers and I, I don't know, I don't want to constantly bring it up to them, but I also don't want to ignore it with them. Like you said, like you're not taught grief growing up. It's not Mm -hmm. until it's thrown at you that you have to find like some sort of life preserver to drag yourself through. And I, I do feel very, um, uh, and even like my, my two best friends, like I, I don't even know how to say to them, like, look, I think that I'm losing my mind right now and I don't know what to do because life does go on for everyone else. And, and even the people closest, at, at least in my world, even the people closest to me who, who still are aware that, you know, I'm a mess, like it's, it's in my head every day all the time front and center still and it it's only been seven months but for everyone else the world has continued back to their normal and mine hasn't and I don't see it continuing back anytime soon and I don't know how to transition it back the I lost my dad at 27 and um my my brother was 21 and I was pregnant with my second daughter and I had a toddler and I was just in survival mode and taking care of my mom and taking care of my kids. And I never really dealt with my dad dying until years later. And when I did, I had like a breakdown, uh, just a full on breakdown. And I, um, I wish there was, like you said, people don't understand the sibling part of it. There are, there are a lot of people that will be like, well, how is your mom? How is your sister-in-law? How's the baby? My, my brother had a toddler and, um, you know, you answer the best you can, like they're, they're hanging in there. They're doing the best they can, but lots of times people won't say like, well, how are you doing? And then it's, I feel like it tends to lead into uncomfortable territory to where people don't ask at all anymore, at least here. Like it, it, I feel that after, after the funeral has passed after that first week, normally it's like within a week you would have a funeral. And after that people stop asking and stop. And I know that it's uncomfortable for people to bring it up, but I think most people would want to talk about their loved one and want to know that people are still thinking of them. Yeah, very much so. Well, I think, Meg, look, I'm four and a half years into my grief journey and you literally are just seven months. You know, four and a half years is still 
sort of very early days, seven months is, you know, you're still in that very raw, um, painful stage where your full-time job really is grieving in terms of what's going on in your brain. You're trying to adjust to a world that has up until this point always had your brother in it Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he's gone so um to to try and continue doing what you've always done um in terms of you know your family your 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 job your committees you know all of those responsibilities um you know you really I felt I really had to lower my expectations and radically reduce um, my responsibilities. And um, sorry, I'm just oh, switching over. Good. I'm just switching over with my husband there. He's taking the baby now. He's just come in from work. Um, so, yeah, I just for me to for me to survive, I really had to pair life back to as as simple as as possible um, because I just didn't have the the capacity as I said said earlier my entire uh, life uh, was consumed by by this grief and I learned very early on that if I was going to survive this I really did have to practice a lot of sort of self-compassion and for once put me first because I had to take not put me first but I I really had to focus on taking care of me so um being kind to myself because I couldn't go to pieces I had so much to do in terms of supporting my family so my parents my other siblings um my my son um, and also there was a lot of, you know, the, the, the legalities um, of, of Trina's death, um, her post-mortem. There's a, an inquest um, going on into the circumstances around her death um, by the, the coroner. And so there's a lot of um, legal work that has to be done. And I, that's, uh, you know, my responsibility. I took that on. Um, for the rest of the family. Um, so, and that's something that's really important to me that Trina gets some sort of um, answers and justice, um, you know, because her, her death could have been avoided. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I had to make, I had to make those decisions um, to um, limit what I, you know, not, not even stop doing it altogether, but just sort of explaining to people, look, don't expect too much from me because I can't do what I used to do. I can't be your confidant, your person that you that you turn to when you've got problems, like, you know, like we all do for our friends. But, you know, there's just, there's just so much that you can't do anymore. And I think... We need to stop beating ourselves up about that. We can't do everything. We're not going crazy. We're, we're not going to have a breakdown. 
but we just need support. But we need the right type of support. Um, and I think finding a grief mate was fantastic for me. So finding someone who didn't feel awkward whenever I brought Trina up, um, you know, who loved hearing stories about her, who who loved being there for me, who just didn't actually really do anything other than just be there. You know, the, the person who showed up, not, not the people who said, I'm here, call me if you need me, um, anything you need, um, just give us a shout. Um, you know, all those wee heart emojis on, on, on social media posts that really was a cry for help from from me. But getting back those wee heart emojis and heartbroken emojis just used to really piss me off, uh, pardon my language. But it was just like, you know, sending me a heart isn't going to take my pain away. I need you. I need you here. And I just... I just couldn't bring myself to to beg um, people. Mm -hmm. But when I found that person who got it, who got it straight away without ever having um, lost anyone, and she wasn't someone that I was overly close to at the time, but we have since become um, fantastic friends and her sister as well. I've become fantastic friends with her as well. And they're two of the most just supportive intuitive, compassionate people. And those, those grief mates that they have become, now they're mates, friends, in so many other ways now, but in those initial days, um, they, they really did save me. And, and I can't emphasize enough how important I think that is, that we, that we look outside, you know, just because our grief mate isn't one of our best mates or one of our closer family members that you think is going to be the perfect person for you, that doesn't mean you stop looking. And and I think that is why the Instagram um, grief community is so powerful because um, complete strangers can say the, the, the right things and they, they get it and they listen. Um, and I think conversations like these um, are you know so personal they're about a really really um, painful emotional um, events and what basically what we're talking about here now today Meg is it may sound like grief on the on the outside but really and truly what we're expressing is love we're expressing love for our siblings. And I think that creates a bond between people. You know, I, I automatically feel so comfortable talking to you. Like we've just exchanged a few messages via social media, via DMs. Um, we're having this conversation now, but I, I just know that you intuitively get me and I feel that I get you and that's just from yes definitely yeah and and I, and I know I, I know where you are I have a sense of where you are because I was 
in a very similar place as you seven months after my sister died. And um, I just I just can't stress it to you enough. Just give yourself a break um, and realize that for a good while yet, you are going to be dealing with grief a lot. Um, and yeah, just sit with it, feel it, all those cliches. Um, because that that's that's what your job is, and that's and that's how you're gonna survive this is through grieving. Um, and once I realized that, once I stopped wishing for the pain to go away, once I realized that my grief was actually my love for Trina. I stopped wishing for it to go away. I, I think I had realized how futile it was as well. Um, but those realizations um, really, really helped me just accept it. Not accept that Trina had died because, you know, I watched her die. I knew she was dead. And I, I know she's dead. But accepting the grief and the loss that comes with that death is something that we try to avoid instinctively to try to survive this loss. Mm -hmm. um, but we we do have to we do have to have to work at it. And grief is the work of healing, isn't that what they say? Um, but it's it's so hard. It's so hard at that stage, at those early early days. It's so hard to reconcile to that. And I remember being so angry at people, you know, just saying to me. Oh, time's a great healer and give it time and all of that. And I just remember thinking, oh, please leave me alone. <laughs> you know, I, I want to tell you how bloody hard this is without you telling me to, you know, stop feeling like that and, you know, trying to fix me. So, yeah, look, it's, it's definitely not an easy journey, but it's definitely made a little easier when you find your your kin um, and by that I mean people who have lost siblings in adulthood um, and I think it's very important for all bereaved people so whether you have um, lost a parent, lost a spouse, a child, um, I think it's so important that you have a place for that grief um, and if that's a support group, if that's an Instagram or social media page, um, then then that's then that's where you need to go. But I know the day that I found a group of, of siblings uh, was the day that I felt that I belonged. Yeah. Definitely. It is it has been absolutely amazing talking with you and, and like you said I, I felt like I knew you after just exchanging a couple messages and I I follow your page all the time because I feel like you're in my head it, it's crazy how much it resonates with me oh, and so thank you so much for doing what you do because your page is amazing and I, I'm sure helped so many people and it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you and I 
definitely would love to do this again. And I, like you said, I, I actually would love to look into grief and in other cultures as well, because I am very curious how how yeah, things yeah. work for other people in different parts of the world and how. Yeah, how me it, too. So maybe we'll make that our project. That, that could be. You really should have a little fun. collaboration. Yes. Yes. So isn't that just the way to go with these collabs is not what they call it uh, yeah that would be really cool so we'll definitely have to talk about that but yeah, I appreciate you so much coming on and chatting today and telling your story <laughs> and you have the most amazing I it, it's not an accent right is it a Rogue, is that what it's called? I my mom yeah. yelled at me. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I, it, it can't be called either, but yeah, the word um there's like the Irish accent and then um what they would say is that I have a Tyrone brogue. So it would be uh, the brogue is like more localized. Um, okay. If you know what I mean. So it, uh, accent would be the generic overarching Irish accent. And then okay. each area, so each county or each province within Ireland would have like a, a specific brogue and, and we can identify where people are from in Ireland based on their brogue. <laughs> okay. So yeah. cool. my son is, um, I'm in Pennsylvania and okay. my son is in college at the University of Alabama. So when I take him down or go down to visit him, it's all the boys, most of them are from the South and they all have very Southern accents and they always laugh and they say, oh, we can tell you're not from here. But <laughs> I, 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 he would, I was just talking to him right before I called you and I said, Connor, I'm going to talk with someone from Ireland. And he was like, oh, I can't wait to hear. That's so awesome. <laughs> so. Oh, he was good. like, make sure you call me when you're done. So I'm going to oh, be calling God. down to Alabama to let them know. <laughs> I went. Oh, well, Meg, it's been lovely talking to you. It really me has. Too. And I definitely do think we should do it again. And more so, we should definitely stay in touch. Um, oh, absolutely. The, uh, yes. I will be. Media. I'll be bugging you because I know you understand me. So when I'm having my little <laughs> toddler meltdowns here. <laughs> I know who I can message. Yeah, you have a place to go and that's what's so important. So yeah, we'll we'll keep at that. Well, thank you so much. It was so good talking to you and I will be in touch soon. Lovely, lovely. And thanks for doing what you do too, Meg, through your page. It's it's excellent sure. as well. Um and we're all just we're all just doing our best, aren't we? Absolutely. That is where we are. And that's <laughs> The best we can do. So exactly, exactly. You have a great rest of your day. And you too. You too, Megan. We'll talk again soon. Okay, sounds good. All right, okay, bye, bye guys. Bye.